welcome to the Whiskey Sisters podcast. I am Inga Larissa. And I am Jennifer Rose. Together, we will be bringing you a weekly whiskey podcast where we'll be discovering drams, exploring distilleries, talking to industry experts and sharing other whiskey adventures. Not only will we be sticking our noses into our drams, but also into all things new and current in the whiskey universe, with a leading commentary, of course. You're listening to Whiskey Sisters, the podcast. It's time for our ninth episode, and today's guest is a bit of a rock and roller of the whiskey world. Yeah! Yes, but before we welcome Stuart Buchanan, let's stick our noses into the latest whiskey news because it wouldn't be a Whiskey Sisters episode without it. Stick your nose in it. Okay, so in today's Stick Your Nose In It, um, and can I are very excited to speak about Copper Cairn, the Whiskey Events Agency and Consultancy, and they have created the first retreat combining whiskey and wellness called the No Sleep Until Speyside Whiskey and Wellness Retreat. How amazing does this sound, Inca? I know. I, th- I think it's kind of an interesting a comparison of whiskey drinking and distillery touring, but then you put yoga in there and you yes. know, treatments. I don't know how I feel. Like it sounds really amazing. But it was it was making me think of whiskey as an elixir of life and you know, to yeah. cure all ails. And I'm like, I'm down for this. That's the thing. Like I really like it when you've been drinking a lot and then the next day maybe you're feeling a little bit hangover and then you go on sauna or bathe or something like that. You just yeah. feel amazing. Absolutely. So it's a four-day all-inclusive retreat that combines whiskey education, tutored tastings, bespoke culinary, how do you say that? Culinary? (laughs) (laughs) Right, really tasty food using locally sourced ingredients prepared by a private chef, holistic therapies like sound healing, massage, meditation, restorative yoga and more. Oh, Zen Inca. I know. Sound baths. What are sound baths? I think you can use like crystal bowls and chimes and things like that and it reverberates around your aura because I've got like quite a lot of hippie genes within me so I think that's a fairly accurate description but feel free to let us know if that's that's not the case. Um, The retreat costs 995 per person based on two people sharing a room and like obviously it includes all the meals, the yoga, bathing, the distillery visits, three-course whiskey dinner. yeah. Only thing I'm a little bit disappointed is it's only they only doing it once between the 17th and the 20th of June and they only have 10 spots. That sounds like super exclusive and maybe quite hard to get one of those spots. I wonder yeah, if they'll exactly. do it again. Yeah, maybe they're just testing it out and see if people are interested yeah. and then maybe they would do another one. I would definitely go. <laughs> <laughs> Namaste, Inca. <laughs> Stuart Buchanan. Okay, I would just like to welcome Stuart Buchanan, Global Brand Ambassador for Benriach, Glendronach and Ginglasa. And he's, well, he's a bit of a Scottish whiskey industry rock star. And I don't know about you, Anka, but I'm dead excited to (laughs) welcome you, Stuart, um, and to hear a little bit more about your history in the industry and what you're doing now. Thank you, uh, Jen and Anka. It's a... Something to be looking forward to this wee chat, actually. 
Uh, goodness, when I saw you in Glasgow there, it's probably 30 years since I'd actually met, saw you in the flesh since then. So uh, <laughs> catch up recently. For those of you that don't know what we're referring to, I was at school with um, Stuart's younger sister on the island of Mull, and many a lunchtime was spent going into the hardware shop that he worked in for a glimpse <laughs> of Stuart. So I'm just going to put that out there on the table <laughs> straight away. So yes, it was a long time since since we'd seen each other. I'm sure actually you never noticed me because I was just one of um, your sister's friends. Oh, goodness. <laughs> you make me blush. <laughs> but funnily, actually, that's where that, that's where well, well, whiskey journey not quite started, but it was uh, quite, a, quite a large part of my journey that time really? in that hardware store. So we can touch on that as we as we talk through. Well, I thought we could start by just practicing these distillery names so we don't mispronounce them throughout the, the recording. <laughs> well, uh, you know what? You nailed it. I was going to comment, Jennifer. You actually nailed it first time. So oh, you, did you're, I? you're on the money. You're it's on the money. It's me blushing now. <laughs> well and it's, done. It's Glasa, which normally catches people out. There are far more letters in there than you actually need. So I, I always chop off really the last three letters, stopping at the A, which is just pronounced Englin Glassa, a soft A at the back. So you can throw away the last three letters and just. For me, it's more of the Ben Benriach, or is it Benriach? Yeah, that's another one. But Benriach, I would normally say, and, and knowing knowing people of the area, um, and actually people with the surname Riach, it's uh, mm. the R I C H Riach. But you know what? I don't get too hooked up on it. You know, yeah. I think even if you travel across Scotland. I sometimes go back to what's the local dialect and, and take it from there, which then might be totally against what somebody yeah. else says. So as yeah. long as you're having a dram and enjoying it, that, that's yeah. the main thing. Pronunciation can come later. <laughs> exactly. But I also wanted to just take the time to ask you, what's going on with the Benriach going back and forth with the spelling? Like, you know, is the R capital or is it not? Oh, good good question. And do you know what? I'm, it makes me smile every time because it's, as much as the, the whiskey is fantastic and we've got fan, brand new packaging, the most common question is, what about the capital R? You know, <laughs> <laughs> what is it all about? And even Glendronach is the capital G. So um, the, uh, these things were just, um, I suppose, added in the last, well, it was been re- it would be 18 years ago, um, almost come up, sorry, 17 years ago, back in 2004, uh, when it was rebranded for the first time, or branded for the first time, in fact, and it was the previous owner, Billy Walker, who then put in the R. And mm-hmm. as he went on then to purchase Glendronach in 2008, the same thing he did there. He took away from the full caps and then moved it, a capital G, into the middle there. So, in fact, what we're doing with uh, the new bin Rearrange is actually going back to a whiskey of old. I, I, actually, I've got another whiskey in my car, which is an old um, 1994 bottling of Glendronach. Wow. The first, te- sorry, bin and it was the first 10-year-old actually produced as a distilleries-only bottling. And actually, it was the same duck egg blue font that we're now again using. It was mm-hmm. a, a more capped font as well, full caps throughout, um, which were in a more blocked you know, um, script. So we're going back to that. So in some ways, what we're doing now is actually going back to that old 94, first 10-year-old out of the distillery. Okay. Yeah, I like the pastel colors and it looks nice. It does. And I think as well, I don't even call it a rebrand. I almost call it a, you know, an evolution of, of Benriach and how even it's changed in the last 17 years since we've done it, owned it. Basically, what we have in bottles reflecting what we have in warehouse. Your, event, your, your core range, your range of whiskies can only evolve as if your warehouse is evolving. And our <laughs> warehouse has evolved so much. If you look in the last 17 years, 
there was no two labels the same. There was no two scripts the same height or size wow. or font. So it was a real, little bit confusing, let's say, for some of the, the Benria consumers or people coming to Benria, you know, what, wondering what Benria is. But I think now what I like about that new range is the simplicity in the shelf. And maybe before we hear a bit about your kind of how how you began in the industry, Stuart, anything you read about Benria, your name comes up because you had such a role in the resurrection of the distillery. Is that fair to say? And can you tell us a bit about that? Well, it's, it's, uh, I can't take all the credit. I wish I could, but I wouldn't do that because there was a lot of the team, other team involved. Um, but I think just that I'm the, maybe the longest standing now from the, the, the foundation of that 2004 reopening. Yeah, I think when it comes to being involved in the story, I've been involved in every aspect of it. So even when I arrived from Tobermory back in 2004, arrived at the distillery, I didn't even have anywhere to stay. So I actually just stayed in the floor maltings. I just got the camp bed out, <laughs> slept in the floor maltings, spiders the size of dinner plates, um, <laughs> which again took a while to get used to. But that was almost six months of, of just working round the clock, getting the plate place fit for purpose, you know. Mm-hmm. whether it was ripping out old steel work, redundant pipe work, renewing pipe work, just getting it ready for pushing, the, getting the, the buttons pushed on for for the first time um, because it did sit empty for two years. So yeah, that that was a great time, even just stripping it down and putting it back together again, along with another great engineer that um, joined as an old retired engineer, in fact, Jock Leslie. He, he can work around any distillery blindfolded, you know, um, and take it apart and put it together again. So it was great even just learning from him a lot of things. And again, Alan McConaughey was the facility manager who also moved from Tobermory to Benria. But he was too busy with the paperwork internally in the office. I just got my hand and started in. Yeah, that was a great learning curve. You know, we were a small team. We were only six of us really in the whole company. So I, not, I didn't really ask to do anything. I was just told to do the next thing. Alan McConaughey jumps to Glendronach, then I jump into the driving seat of Benria and really take on the management yeah. day to day there. So I was never... I don't even think I was promoted. It was just like, just do it. And I did it. <laughs> in my kind of um, life in whiskey. And even when it goes to hit the road, you know, growing brands, um, the world was getting larger. We didn't have a dedicated ambassador. The sales guys were get out in the ground, mm-hmm. but they were getting busier. And eventually they kicked me out of production in 2012. And that's when I, I just started traveling the globe. Again, didn't particularly ask to do it. They just kicked me out and I got on with it. <laughs> so cool. That is just like an amazing role. And uh, like you mentioned earlier, we saw each other a couple of weeks back at the Glasgow Whiskey Festival. But even there, some of the other ambassadors I was speaking to speak about you in such high regard and how they were really excited to work with you because you have been jet setting about the globe for a long time in your ambassador role. I think we could do a whole episode on stories from. <laughs> that <laughs> i'm imagining yeah. you've got a few tales to tell definitely and we could maybe do a, a late night version as well <laughs> <laughs> but that's a great thing about traveling uh, you know I, I was i was lucky i was kicked out globally you know a lot of ambassadors maybe just concentrate in uk or europe or just the us or just asia i think what i loved about my global role i just touched every one of those and and, and met the fantastic people in the industry that, that we're in each of these markets already. So, yeah, love it. <laughs> Wouldn't mm. change it for a thing. Yeah, sounds amazing. So have you been able to travel now, obviously with COVID and all these restrictions? Have you been abroad much or just stayed in Scotland? There was that wee spell just back in November when things started to lighten up a bit, late September, late autumn. And I suppose the first thing was a London Whiskey Show, um, mm-hmm. Whiskey Exchange Showdown in Old Billingsgate. 
And that really was the first one, although it was still kind of restricted in some ways, first one really out on the ground since it was March 2020. So that was great. And then the following week after that was Paris. This might have been another way around, actually. It might have been Paris first, then London, either or. But that, they were almost back-to-back weekends. So even that two-week spell, uh, it did feel like we're getting back to normality. Yeah. And then... Yeah. The things that were supposed to be in the pipeline, Germany, November is probably the busiest month of all across the world, actually, with single malt events. And there was going to be many across um, the Netherlands, Germany. We did manage to jump into to Brussels, into, into Belgium. But a lot of the, the late November ones get cancelled due to the, the other spike. So mm-hmm. that really put an end to it. But mm-hmm. now we're looking good again. I'm already booking ahead into, into my April and May and some end of March um, events. But also, what I love is actually bringing people to the distillery. So... In the two and a half, in the two years that that we've had um, a COVID environment, we've had far couldn't tell you how many hundreds of new staff members globally. So they all have to come to Scotland. So I'll be host. I'll we're almost kind of kick kick off that hosting part of my job as well, which is the educational hosting side of. of I my, hadn't my, thought my of that. Role. People coming from elsewhere to learn in Scotland. Yeah, yeah, and that's a yeah. Globally, we've got goodness knows how many sales team, you know, new members or or even our distributing partners. Um, that have to come through and that's another part of my job I like uh, it's great it's great traveling the world but when you take people to our distilleries they do the sea distilleries and they leave with that fantastic picture that we've built there and they keep talking about that when you, re- you return to their markets you know you've done a good job and it's uh, mm. it's been fun which countries would you say that are your strongest markets um it's been great to see markets grow and change in fact you know taiwan would always been referred to as probably the number one market historically and mm-hmm. um, spent a lot of time in Taiwan initially when I started traveling in 2012, as well as Japan. But then in, in Germany, Europe, Germany and France were always the, the big the big two, almost battling to get the, the top numbers. But what I loved about, I suppose, halfway through my ambassadorial role, we were, we were purchased by Brown Foreman and, and they're based up in Louisville and Kentucky. It was spending a lot more time in the U.S., so actually getting over to the U.S. more and actually see that U.S. change very quickly, mm-hmm. actually, from, I'm not saying it changed under when I was there, but you, I could I could see people, you know, waking up to single malts who had been historically blended whiskey drinkers and then that conversion to single malt. It always has been strong, but I would say in the last five years, it's actually grown stronger yeah. and stronger and stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it's an ever, ever-changing demographic. You know, you can go away from a country for three years and go back to it whole new demographic, whole mm-hmm. new style of whiskey they're looking for. Wow. Um, and it can be, yeah, quite dramatic how it's changed since you were there previously. Australia, Poland are good examples of that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Do people have different ways how they like to enjoy scotch in these countries? Like, cause I know lots of my US friends because they normally drink bourbon, but they big single malt fans, but they always like to put ice in them because they used to with bourbon and things like that. So have you noticed anything Unusual. Yeah, I suppose um, I don't. Uh, people can drink it the way they want it, but if I'm taught, if I'm in, in a social environment, you can do what you want. You know, you we we would normally serve a cocktail just to welcome people in, because sometimes you'll maybe have an audience there which is maybe more, you know, especially if it's writers or columnists, it's, it's more lifestyle led, so they're maybe not overly familiar with Singapore. So you welcome them in with a cocktail and then yeah, you know. Let them go at ease and break take. them in gently. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> and that does a, does a good job at doing that. But if it if it was in a training front, always neat. With maybe after the second or third sip, that little addition of water to see how that opens up. Um, there are some whiskies that we have 
that for fun I will put ice put on ice just to see just to show the versatility of it. Okay. And you're not you're not stuck in just a a, a Glencairn or a you know a tulip yeah. scenario. You can have a nice big you know old school. Um, crystal tumbler and ice and, and, but not with every whiskey There's loads of questions I want to ask about the travel but <laughs> also if we could look back to the beginnings of your journey into whiskey Stuart that would be really good to hear how it all began I'm going to have to do this pretty fast though because I can spend hours on this alone <laughs> um, but I, I, we dec- recently did this thing where we were getting to know new team members actually and we had a, a, a little kind of get together every Thursday and we had to do this we montage of our life in whiskey so far just to get to know our other colleagues. And um, when I when I came to do mine, I was like, goodness, what will I do? So I called it six six degrees of distillation instead of six <laughs> degrees of separation. <laughs> because almost if you look back at my whole life, it's been touched in whiskey in some way. Mm-hmm. And my first memory of whiskey wasn't actually whiskey itself in glass. It was probably in my, grand, my grandfather's farm. So my mother's uh, family were farmers. And... Even today, I can't walk around the distillery without smelling the draft and thinking I'm five years old. So mm-hmm. the spent grains, you know, when you've thrown the draft in the mash tun, wow. when I smell that spent grains, a draft, it's like mm-hmm. I can be back in the farm and get a harn, my mother clipping me around the ear saying I've been playing in the draft pit, you know, at the farm, which should have, oh. they would have used to feed the cattle. So that was that was basically my first whiskey memory, if that's a whiskey memory, whiskey related. Mm-hmm. Also, my uncle was a, he used to, again, with a farm, he had a haulage company. He would haul draft, you know, that draft from Ochentoshan, from Loch Lomond, from Glen Goyne, you know, surrounding distilleries, taking that to the farm. So I was always aware of distilleries. Right. Um, and actually, initially, before we moved to Mull, uh, we lived in Dumbarton, which back in the 70s was a big whiskey, whiskey town. So... Mm-hmm. Dumbarton had the, the massive red brick distillery right in the centre of town. The smell of the whiskey was in the air. The red brick building was almost this big imposing whiskey cathedral right in the middle of town. And a lot of the guys that we knew um, either worked in the bottling hall there or, or were engineers in the industry. You were destined for this, Stuart. Yeah. So, so that, that's even before I, I was t- a, a bit has touched my lips. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Tobermory was where I first started starting and working whiskey. And again, you know, Jen, you couldn't avoid the distillery in Tobermory. It sits right down in, in, in the wee harbour there. Exactly. In a prominent position. You can't walk, you can't stagger up the spray without <laughs> having a wee lean before, before you take the trip up the hill. And I was, it was lucky to get the opportunity to start there. But we did mention um, that the, let's call it, I wouldn't even call it a hardware store, Brown's Emporium, which sold just about everything from a, from a fly mower to a seed potato to a bottle of whiskey to goodness knows what else, you know. Just one of these great, unique stores. A bit stores. of everything. Yeah. Uh, but also, if you remember, behind the counter at the time, this is the early 90s, they had over like 60 single malts in the shelves, which back well, then was yes. quite unusual. Yeah. <laughs> um, and as a young guy, again, I'd worked in bars, and my, my uncle had, had owned bars, actually. But that's where I actually maybe saw whiskey in the shelf, thinking, goodness gracious, look at the extent of that. And then from, from Brown's crazy emporium, that's when I got the start to work in the distillery. That was late 93, I think it was. And yeah, I started as a stillman. Stroking, I wasn't an engineer, but I had some engineering history. So again, being a small island, small distillery, you really had to keep it working yourself. Mm. So basically nuts and bolts stuff, you know, repairing pumps, stills, valves, pipe work, anything. So you're almost kind of hands-on distillation because I was in the still house. But also distillation, it's not boring, but there's a lot of free time. So actually outside the time when you're actually distilling or doing something and the process there, 
it was down to the workshop and get get your hands dirty repairing a pump or get ready for a refit or something or cleaning the boiler or something like that. Um, <laughs> and I think that was good. That was a good grounding as well because you saw everything. Yeah. You know, you got you got to see the production, you got to see the process, you got to see the machinery that did that. And even now, if I go into the distillery, I want to hear the clangs and the bangs and the pops and the squishes, you know. I want to hear the distillery <laughs> breathing and doing something. There's nothing worse than a silent distillery when you walk in. So <laughs> noise. That, that's not a distillery to me. It's got to be making bells and whistles. And I think that's also why when come 2004, when Billy Walker buys Benriach, that I was very happy that he'd done something well enough that he thought he could give me a call and it'd be, it'd be useful to him and his team. But that so, real, like, grassroots level and all growing, you know, within a distillery, it's it's a, an epic journey, really. Yeah, it's, and it, I, again, I can't believe it's almost 30 years now. But no two, no two days have ever been the same, and that's a great thing. You know, I would be bored quite quickly if I was just a stillman, let's say, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. distillation is quite repetitive. You know, because you've got to do exactly the same thing, the same thing every 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 time. So I've always wanted to do something else. I've actually pushed myself, let's do something else, let's do something else, let's do something else. Or learn something else, even. Inca, we can't have Stuart on and not be nosy about the keeper of the quake. <laughs> yeah. Have, have I got that phrase right? Are you a keeper of the quake, an I award am. that's given to a select few humans on the planet? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm one of those humans, yes. Uh, yeah, again, a huge honour. Oh, can uh, you I, give us, like, I, I guess you can't give us inner secrets about you this. Got, like no. a secret handshake or something. <laughs> yeah, funnily enough, my quake, my quake normally sits behind me there, but I had it for a, I had it in another another um, tasting, so it's away in another box. To, if you could tell our me. listeners what, what that is about, that would be amazing for, for those it, that maybe haven't heard of it. it it's a really, it's really amazing group of whiskey people. And it doesn't have to be production. It doesn't have to, doesn't have to be Scottish. It's people have dedicated, in some ways, let's say, dedicated their life to to the industry as a whole. No matter what which avenue that may be from, whether it's from being a distributor of whiskey and a passionate uh, whiskey enthusiast in, in the US to even somebody who's doing logistics and shipping in the industry. So mm-hmm. it's somebody who's really dedicated their life to whiskey and, and has maybe shown and left their mark on, on whiskey, hopefully, in some ways that it's been noticed by their peers and then you're you're put forward to be nominated as a keeper it's not a it's not a done deal so you have to get nominated by a, an existing keeper then gets put through the selection process uh-huh. and hopefully you get the tick and you can then go to the the most amazing night of your life which is the raffle <laughs> which i still get oh, goosebumps when i think about really you know, was it um, amazing it was, it was. And actually, just to, to add a little twist to that, I was actually in, in Singapore at the time when I was phoned up and said, Stuart, you need to get back to Scotland. We've arranged it with the, your, the travel agents, but you, you, you're getting on this flight, da, da, da. I was like, what have I done? I thought I was getting a sack or something. <laughs> I thought something had gone wrong. <laughs> then when I get back to Edinburgh, next call was, get yourself up, get your kilt ready, black tie, up to Blair Athol. And I was like, God, then, I, then that almost that evening, I'm sitting in, in Blair Athol, surrounded with whiskey, royalty of, of Scotland, you know, and actually some of the, the last remaining actual royalty of Scotland. Wow. Do you know how many keepers there are? Can't off the top of my head. It's, you know, I wish I could. Um, are we talking got, about tens or hundreds? or? No, it's actually in the thousands uh, globally oh, of different okay. ages. Um, you know, you've got a huge spectrum across the globe. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually got the latest magazine in my car. And then each, each there's two gatherings a, a year, April and October, and you'll get 50 or 60 people being made a keeper. 
um, mm. in that um, at that night. And also, after 10 years of being a keeper, you go to a master of Kuwait. So there's another master ceremony as well. Oh, amazing. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's goosebump material. <laughs> well, congratulations for that. That's, yeah. that's amazing. I feel like we should have a dram and also oh. talk about what's in your glass <clears throat> tonight. Slanchiva. So what is in your glass tonight? Do you know what? I wasn't even thinking of what, what it would be, but it just so happened that in, in a wee box, I've got a, f- and it is my, and it just happens to be my favourite style of, of whiskey, actually. And it is a Benria 1995 First Fill Bourbon Barrel. Ooh. Cast strength sample. Mm. Sexy. It's all my buttons. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was just going to say that I have also a Penriach on in my class, 22-year-old, uh, by independent bottler, the whiskey seller. But this has been finished in rum um, casks for four years. The rum works beautifully with that Penriach character, it really does. I probably filled that rum barrel, <laughs> to be honest. I think I probably did. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> Full circle. Yeah. And I have a Benriach 10, well, drum roll please, smoky, because I'm not a peat freak, (laughs) but I really am enjoying it, Um, and I think Inca's luring me over to the peat side. So I've not tried the Benriach 12 as yet, but will do um, my tasting notes. I would say... I'd like to say are maturing, but do you know what happens? I taste it and I get dead excited like a kid. And I just get the first few things that come into my head and then I just enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you guys have got a link there then in your drams because you're both utilising some rum because the 10-year-old Smokey has got some beautiful um, peated spirit and rum barrels in there as well. Well, yeah. I wondered, there was lovely sweetness Yep. you know, on the nose and to taste. And I like a wee bit of sweetness. So really enjoying that. Yeah, yeah. and it goes really well with the gentle <clears throat> smokiness. It really does, really does. And Benriachas, I always get that. And that's why I, I personally have a sweet tooth when it comes to whiskey. And I love bourbon barrels. You know, I, I think a whiskey can't hide in bourbon. Um, mm. if, it's, if it's got bad notes, it'll be exaggerated in some ways in a bourbon barrel. It can't, it's not overwhelmed by sherry, which can sometimes hide some notes. Not bad notes, but just like some unbalanced notes if it's not been mm-hmm. left long enough, for example. But um, yeah, bourbon barrels, love it. Because it, it, it works. It's confu- It's not It's not confusing characters. You know, yeah. apples, pears, apricots, we're generally familiar with those. Bourbon barrels, toffee, vanilla, butterscotch. It's like ice cream and custard and apple pie. <laughs> Who doesn't like go that? Wrong. <laughs> All the good things. <laughs> but I think that's why it's so, so open to your palate, because... It's, it's flavors we know, you know, it's not, you don't have to ponder over it, you know, mm-hmm. what's this little, what's this nuance, what's this nuance? it's just easy to enjoy because it's familiar flavors we know. Well, talking about the cask finishing, and also it sounds like you really know your way around whiskey, whether it's the production or the casks or, you know, everything really. Um, so on our second episode, we covered some cask finishes. I don't know if you had a listen, but we, there's a question that we were wondering and uh, we've been trying to ask many people. So I think you you seem like ideal person to ask this. So how no long... Pleasure, Stuart. Yeah, no, no pressure, Stuart. No pressure. How long until a finish becomes double maturation? And um, or are there any rules on how long the finish can be in relations to the overall maturation period? 
absolutely no SW regulations at all. And actually, I think as well, looking at different different distilleries' characters or the new make character of each distillery, some can manage a, a longer secondary maturation. Some will only cope with a shorter period, six, four months, um, even depending on age, which age group you're going for or what do you want to dominate. Um, so there's there's nothing I would say really denotes what a, that line between finish and, and secondary maturation or double maturation, as, as you say. I think a lot of these things are maybe just marketing terms that maybe simpli- simplify right. the terminology. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I, would, I would guarantee, it's, it's, two, it's, it's almost two things. You, you try and simplify it to talk about whiskey, but you don't want to dumb it down. Yeah. You know? yeah. So sometimes finishing is on the edge of dumbing it down because you're saying we're finishing it in there to get some notes. But that's yeah. totally simplifying it. Is it six months? Well, one distillery does six months. One distillery does four months. One distillery does three years four years, six years, nine years. I think when you start breaking into the, the three to five to seven to nine years, you're starting to then move into what I would call secondary maturation. I wouldn't even call it double mm-hmm. double wood or double oak. I would, I would just stick with that secondary maturation because I, I think as well, you know, you've got to look at the spirit or what you want. For me, the finish, what you're going to get is maybe, this is how I would term, if you leave it for a shorter period of time, which generally people will regard as a finish, what you're going to get is the surface of that wine cask, whichever style it is, the rum, the port, Madeira, Marsala, what have you. And that surface, internal surface of the, the wood will be then almost going into the balance of the whiskey. Mm. But the longer you leave that, your your whiskey will then penetrate through that layer of the wine and then go right into the wood and right, come right back out again. So you're almost getting right. what I would say is the, the oak and then the wine influence. Mentor of mine, Billy Walker, we used to work with a lot of wine casts, particularly like Chateau de Kemp's turn rings a bell when he said to look after this, taste it. When so my questions my questions were when do we stop? When when mm. do we when do I stop? And he goes, Well, you know you've gone through the layer of wine when you get the wood. How do you know you've got the wood? It's almost like when you bite a grape seed. You know, when you bite a grape seed, oh, you get that wee yeah. tiny dry tannin. Mm-hmm. If you do that, you know you've gone into the wood and, and you get it. but then you've got that yeah. balance against the sweetness of the wine. And you always want sweetness. So you always want a contrast of oak and sweetness or peat and sweetness or mm-hmm. spice and sweetness. There's always got, got something to balance that sweetness. And if you leave it long enough, the wood can do that. But you yeah. do need a, a fairly broad-shouldered, robust spirit for that. A finer spirit maybe wouldn't be able to do that because notes would overtake. So I love it. And that, it does get me excited when I talk about wood, fi- wood finishes and <laughs> secondary maturation because... The answer to your question is they're not an answer to your question. Yeah. Mm. I've got loads, loads of good conversation to be had around it. Yeah. And and I think I can definitely, now that you, what you just said, I can get this whiskey much more that I'm drinking because it's 22 years old, but it's four years in rum. So it has that all that sweetness, kind of, you know, what you would expect from rum casks, but it does have a bit of a bite, like that kind of oakiness and spiciness from the wood. Yep. So, it, Yeah. And, and quite deliberately, you know, mm. deliberately to do that. Mm-hmm. The thing about um, the thing about the rum barrels. This is another wee geeky thing about some rum barrels. The rum barrels did come from Jamaica for us, and I think this, some of the batches that were coming through, they're spending a lot of traveling time in containers. You know, the wood was drying out. You could see the hoops mm. getting loose, so you would know that the, the casks are drier. When we were putting, I remember putting some spirit to maybe even that kind of batch that you're drinking there, putting it to the rum barrels, and this isn't a bad thing. But we would hammer the hoops tight again, get that cask holding liquid, put it into the, put our re-racked whiskey in there, and then you leave it for six months. Taste it again. What's happened? In some cases, nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Nine months. Anything happened. In some cases, nothing. Yes, a little bit. 
But the fact that there's nothing actually happening isn't a bad thing because that okay. means you've got to just give it time, give it time, mm. give it time. And then that's when you get the balance because it's not a rush, right. just flavoring of scenario. Yeah. You're, the wood's almost acting like a sponge where it's going to draw your whiskey in deeper into that wood and then give you that balance back in, in bigger, more diameter ways rather than just flavour it. Anyway, that's a nice wee geeky thing. No, about but I, that's amazing. Oh, I, know, I, I feel I understand it more now. Yeah, I I love all the nerdy stuff. <laughs> and you've we've spoke quite a bit about rum cask finishes. If we had to pin you down to a favourite finish, Stuart, what would you say? Probably Madeira. Mm. Nice. Again, going back to the sweet tooth, uh, <laughs> and working with a lot of the casks that, that you see developing in 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 warehouse as you do these reracks. And I think that was a great time, you know, 2000, let's say 2006 when I moved into the warehouse management side and then watching the progression of, of cash you had filled, then just developing and developing and developing. And it's like my mouth was salivating <laughs> getting in to taste these again. And and yeah, Madeira always stood out to be perfect balance of, again, this is talking about Benria, of that Benria spirit, then bringing in the Madeira which almost then elevates that fruit into a, almost like fruit salad syrup. So you've Yum. got this um, mm. lovely fruit salad syrup, you know. But can I be geeky again? Yes, yes. <laughs> if you're, you're going to use a very sweet cask like a Madeira, because you know you're going to get a sweet ending on that, it's going to be a sweet finish and it'll it'll have all the sweet notes. It's as much excitement looking for the cask to go into that than it is actually seeing it progress. So if you're going to, have, if you're going to move whiskey into a cask like that, you don't go for first fill bourbon because right. there's too, too many common factors there. Mm. It's already sweet. It's already yeah. therapy. It's right. taking overload. So what you've got to do is go into your warehouse and find something like a nice refill hogshead or a third fill bourbon barrel, You know something that's still got a nice right. spirity kick, a nice peppery edge. And mm -hmm. then you, when you put it to the Madeira, again, you get the balance and you can leave mm. it longer. A first fill bourbon, maybe you can only leave six months or eight months. You look for a good second, a third fill bourbon barrel, a good old hogshead. That's when you can then leave that there for six, seven, eight, nine years. So mm -hmm. it's it's vital to be just as just as what's the word? Be you, as you selective be just, with yeah, what goes in. Uh, you, you have to be as pernickety about what goes in, mm -hmm. as well as as pernickety as what's going to come out at the end of the mm -hmm. day. You really have to mm -hmm. yeah, select that. That's what we do. That's not maybe everybody. Somebody else might just go, yeah, give me ten first bottle bourbons and fire it and done. But I get as much fun out of the selection process of that the first yeah. process, uh, uh, first stage of the process. No, oh, it's very interesting. Um, also, obviously, all these three distilleries are very different. So how would you best describe each one of them to our listeners? And what are the things that are uh, things setting them apart? Um, you couldn't ask for three distilleries to actually work in perfect harmony together in, in a, a portfolio because, again, we talked talk a little bit about Benriach, only because I'm three miles away from Benriach. And again, it's where I first started. But Benriach's got that versatility. It's got broad shoulders. You know, we've been peating with it back since the 70s. We've triple distilled it through the, the 90s. We've done a lot of the cast, secondary cast maturation through the 2000s. So you can do a lot of things to it, but it still stays been real. So think mm -hmm. of like a, a classic car, but you've put a three-liter eight-valve engine in it. you it up a bit. Exactly. That, that's the <laughs> word I'm looking for. Yeah. You know, we've lowered the suspension. We've, we've, yeah. got it, we've got it finely tuned to really perform to that point. Um, whereas you go to Glendronach, 40 miles east, you know, <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's like an E-type jack, you know, yeah. you know, just leave it perfect, you know, um, iconic, in fact. And then you go to Little Glenglassa, which is really almost, let's say, 20 miles from each back to the coast. It's got to be a, v, a split 
green 1960s VW camper. <laughs> Amazing. Because <laughs> it's right on this, you know, surfing beach, north of Scotland. It's got this yeah. cool vibe to it. It's quite quirky, weed, quirky weed distillery. Very unique character to the actual whiskey itself. So that's, it, it, you can tell I like my cars and motorbikes. <laughs> that, that's how I would even just to the layman picture these three mm-hmm. distilleries. But that really paints a picture. And I'm also thinking that sounds like a really nice sort of triangle weed distillery tour as well. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yep. You see so much, actually, not only in the process, but even the landscape, you know, terroir. Big question. You can keep that for another day. It's, just, it's terroir. Yeah. You know, is that, yeah. is that accountability in whiskey? Big debate. Water. Is water anything to do with the process? I will actually shout and scream for both of these things where a lot of people will not. But yes. when you go to our three distilleries, you can feel the sense of place in mm. the distilleries. Yeah. No no shadow of a doubt there. But yeah, you see you see so much. Landscape of Scotland and and the varying styles of production we do. Although it's all distillation, we do tweak little things here and there each place to drive it in different directions. Mm-hmm. Drive each one in different directions. Well, we're certainly going to be featuring more whiskies from um, Glendronach and Glenglassa in the future. And mm-hmm. one day, Whiskey Sisters on tour will need to head in that direction. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. And... We would like to ask you a final question, if that's all right, Stuart. So we've asked all our guests so far in terms of their dream dram companion. So any celebrity or kind of historical figure, dead or alive, who would you share a dram with and what dram would you select? Good question. I've had a dram with Kylie Minogue before. (gasps) You have not. Yeah, let's keep that for another story. Uh, (laughs) Oh, that's so good. And Jeff Bridges, but then again, it's not. Oh, um, I you know have no. But what am I good? But going to music side, music hero is um, Graham Parsons, who was you know was one of the birds, early birds, big California troubadour music head back in nice. the 60s, 70s. Really cool guy. Unfortunately, he, he passed away. Mm-hmm. But his friends actually kidnapped his body, took him to the desert and burnt his, <laughs> his body in Joshua Tree. It, it, oh it, no! No way. So pretty cool guy all around. Flying Burrito Brothers is another one of his bands. So yeah, Graham Parsons, a big, a big Glen drawn, a big Glen glass actually in the desert with him would be cool. Mm, what a cool choice! I'm loving that. I have to throw in a one more curveball question. Uh, that's not really a curveball. Just uh, when you're not drinking any of these three distilleries, what what do you like to drink? It's quite weird actually because all my days, even next door to Tobermory Distillery, is a pub. Uh, McGawkins, and even if I was finishing my shift before I actually got to the bar, when I finish my fish, my shift finished, there would be a Jack Daniels and Coke and a bottle of Miller waiting oh. for me. So Jack and Coke, basically, yeah, actually hilarious. Now that we're owned by Brown Foreman, who owns it, yeah. Jack Daniels. <laughs> so I was over the moon <laughs> with yeah. that acquisition. And the sweet tooth right from then. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. No, definitely. Exactly. Well, maybe we should go into McGawkins when we visit Tobermory Distillery and have a Jack and Coke. Yes. Well, thanks for joining us. It was really nice to have you have you chatting with us for a little bit. An absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. And honestly, now that we can hopefully start travelling, you're always welcome. Just let us know and we can get to get to these three distilleries. Or even come and join me in the kitchen for a wee dram. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. And that reminds me, you mentioned before that um, your washing line, maybe outside your kitchen, went black, like how we mentioned the trees around distilleries go black. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
and <laughs> honest to goodness, when I was staying, I used to live right next to Benriach at Longmorn Distillery, only 500 yards away. But yeah, if I left my white shirts out over the weekend, which quite often happened, they would have to wash them again. It was just black with that, <laughs> that algae. But also my car, you, you don't wash your car, your car will be thick with it. Wow. So it, it gets everywhere, absolutely everywhere. Oh, thank you so much, Stuart. Really, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Whiskey Sisters, Whiskey Fact. So, time for the Whiskey Fact. Do you know why there are different spellings of whiskey with and without the E? Well, I think I know because um, whiskey is with an E. Whiskey is preferred by... Irish and Americans and here in Scotland well I'm in Scotland um, you know whiskey without an E is traditionally used but also in Canada Japan and the rest of the world would would have the same as Scotland and drop the E yeah yeah that's correct although uh, Irish whiskey doesn't have to have the E by law um, although most distilleries use it but for example Ah. Waterford distillery doesn't um, but by law, they got three, three different options, so you don't have to use it. Oh, I, I didn't know that. The main reason why they are using it, um, or so I've heard, uh, the scotch used to be very poor quality, and the Irish were exporting their whiskey to America, where they wanted, and then they wanted to differentiate their product from the low quality whiskey by adding the extra e on the name. To say that like theirs is different and and better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because Scotch used to be a bit rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> when the, in the scabby Scotch days. <laughs> yeah, and that's why obviously then Americans are calling it whiskey as well, like Tennessee whiskey and all that, yeah. because that's the Irish heritage, probably. That's plenty. Okay, next week we will have a very special guest, a Gallic consultant to the TV show Outlander, who is going to teach us a thing or two, maybe a couple of tongue twisters, but we're going to be focusing on the proper pronunciation of some distillery names. Watch this space. Oh, fun times ahead. And we will make sure to get our listeners involved. So keep an eye out on our socials as well. Absolutely. And as always, you can keep up to date with us on Whiskey Sisters on our Instagram at whiskeysisters.podcast, Twitter at Whiskey Sisters, and Facebook at Whiskey Sisters Podcast. Cheerio, Enka. Cheerio, Jennifer. <laughs> Ciao. <laughs>